Hello, and welcome to issue 408, volume 9 of Canon Rinse, Tales from the Borderlands. Uh, joining me, Jesse Fuchs, in this issue are Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And Tom Quillfelt. Catch a ride? <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <laughs> upcoming issues, uh, we have Yakuza Zero, Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice, Dying Light, and Florence. Uh, but for today, we'll be discussing Tales from the Borderlands, the 2015 Telltale game. Uh, comes out in five episodes between the end of 2014 and uh, near the end of 2015. Uh, I'd like to read a bit of the introduction to Duncan Fife's oral history of Tales from the Borderlands, uh, which you can find online. And if you enjoy listening to this episode, there's a lot of interesting information in there. Uh, but this is why he, he wrote that oral history. Quote, The game clicks right away with the sheer goofy joy of Riss and Vaughn crash landing on Pandora, then driving away to Jungle's busy earning. Why is the opening song that good? Why is there a licensed soundtrack at all? In Tales from the Borderlands, all the important things are better than they need to be, better than the obvious choice. The game feels like something striving to escape the gravity of its limitations, and more often than not surpassing them. Playing Tales is the most satisfying kind of thrill, that of watching the thing that's not supposed to work working better than just about anything else. It takes the benefit of the doubt and runs with it like Rocky up the art museum steps. Uh, so that's a very positive review. We'll hear a various mix of reviews uh, as we go through this. Um, but yeah, just to give sort of the uh, overall details, it was published by the uh, late great Telltale Games. I'm sure we'll end up talking about uh, its place a bit in that history. Uh, a lot of different writers, a lot of people worked on it. So apologies if I leave people out. But the main people uh, would be uh, Pierre Chorette is listed as the main writer. Other writers are Adam Hines and Anthony Birch. Uh, designed by Mark Darren and Stephen J. McManus, uh, directed by Nick Herman, along with Martin Montgomery, Ashley Roll, and Jonathan Stouter, art direction David Bogan and Leif Estes, uh, music by Jared Emerson Johnson, uh, sound design by Gary Platt, content programming Tully Rafferty, concept art Molly Maloney, uh, lead animation Peter Sakel, lead cinematic artist Javier Espinoza, and lead environment artist Christian De Los Santos. Uh, this game was, uh, I would say the reviews are, it was, it was universally beliked. Uh, it comes in at a 89% on open critic, uh, somewhere 85 or 86 or 88% on Metacritic, depending on which uh, system you're looking at, uh, individual episodes, the second and fourth episode ranked a little lower in the high seventies and the fifth and fifth episode were the highest in the uh, mid to high eighties. Uh, user reviews, an 8.2 on Metacritic with 459 reviews, and a 9.0 on IMDb uh, with 3,071 reviews. Uh, and as I said, the release was over the course of about a year. First episode was November 2014, uh, then second, March 2015, June 2015, August 2015, and October 2015 is when it finished with a disc-based version that came out uh, April 2016. Um, it won some awards. It was nominated for Best Narrative at the Game Awards in 2015 and won a ton of awards, although there are 54 different award categories, at the National Academy of Video Game Trade Reviewers. It was nominated for Best Franchise Adventure and won for Writing in a Comedy. Troy Baker is the lead in a comedy. Jared Emerson Johnson for Best Original Light Mix Score in a Franchise. And Aaron Avet for Best Supporting Performance in a Comedy. Uh, we don't have exact sales figures, uh, but in that aforementioned oral history, uh, it is stated that sales figures, quote, weren't great, 
They were decent. It's not like we were losing money. But compared to something like The Walking Dead, it wasn't on the same level. Uh, and that does seem to affect the development of the game over the episodes. They mentioned that they had to give up a lot of their staff. There was a skeleton crew. Definitely uh, a lot of love got put into this game uh, for it to make it uh, to the final episode. So, yeah, I would just like to at this point issue a big spoiler warning. Uh, this is a game of twists and turns and plot reveals and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that's pretty much what it's all about. So if you haven't played it and you don't want all of that uh, spoiled for you, uh, this would be probably a good time to duck out and come back to it after you play it, if you can play it, because it is delisted uh, some places now that Telltale uh, has gone under. Um, so on to our histories with the game. Uh, Josh, uh, tell us about your history, both with this game and just, you know, the, the broader Borderlands franchise, what your uh you know perspective was was when you first played this yeah so i mean there's there's kind of two histories of this isn't there there's your history with telltale as a studio and then the the borderlands franchise um i think with with telltale just to start with that with with that side of things um like pretty much everyone um i played the first season of the walking dead and really loved it, warts and all. Um, I think that game has some issues, most of which are technical, um, but I think ultimately what it achieves is, uh, or at least the thing that it focuses on and, and um, ultimately what it's it's mainly about, um, it, it uh, manages to achieve something um, with flying colours. Um but like ever since season one of The Walking Dead, it's kind of been a rocky road for me in terms of games that really stood out from this studio. So I really liked half of The Wolf Among Us and then felt like the second half of that that season really let it down. Um, and then everything else kind of felt a little bit middle of the road or in some cases were just like genuinely a bit rubbish. Then with Borderlands, that series, didn't like Borderlands 1 at all, played Borderlands 2 when it was kind of reduced in price, really enjoyed it. Um, I've never gone back to it since, and I fear it's one of those games where the humour kind of worked on me as an early 20s, uh, you you know, university age student, all that jazz. Um, I don't know how well that humor would work on me as uh, somebody uh, who's dangerously close to their thirties now, but I do I do have positive memories of Borderlands Two and and remember really enjoying it. But when I first heard that you know the next Telltale game was going to be uh, Tales from the Borderlands, I think I I just automatically dismissed it in my own head. It's like wow, that's that's a waste of time because I. I don't really associate Borderlands with uh, storytelling or character. It's just kind of a fun context for uh, Diablo-esque shooting, looting, all of that stuff. Um, whereas, you know, some of the more exciting franchises that they were approaching, like Game of Thrones, um, Batman, and all of that stuff, that you, on paper, kind of lend themselves more to Telltale's approach um, were kind of falling flat for me. So when I heard this, I was like, well, that's going to be even worse. Why even bother? Um, and then some of the word of mouth started to come out. 
Um, I didn't get it with the first episode. I waited until all the episodes were out, so I got a sense of how people felt about the the season as a whole, and it felt like the praise hadn't stopped. Um, so I played it all in the span of a week. I felt like I was kind of playing an episode a day, um, and just really, you know, I uh, scarf this down. This is the closest I get to binge watching a game that I've gotten in the past. Um, yeah, we'll get into it, but I was really surprised by this. Great. Um, I uh, I'm very interested in yeah what your opinion is compared to those other games. Uh, I uh, I'll get into my own in a bit. Uh, but I uh, spoiler I've not played through all the Walking Dead, so I'll not be able to make that comparison because I am a scary cat. Um, <laughs> Tom, what is uh, your history with uh, both ends of this franchise? My journey with Telltale started with the Sam and Max games, specifically Sam and Max season three, and then I went back and played the first two with my wife. And- Whilst they're, you know, as puzzle games, they're pretty quirky, quite difficult, quite frustrating. I really love the the humour of them. Um, And I never played the previous Sam and Max games, the quote unquote real Sam and Max games from before that. So I had quite a high opinion of Telltale. I found their model of doing it episode by episode quite intriguing when they were just sort of selling stuff through their website. I found that quite charming. And I think back then I also found the jank quite charming as well because it felt small and then um you you couldn't miss the fuss about the walking dead but i actually didn't get to play that for quite a while i kind of put it off i wasn't really everyone said it was brilliant i didn't really feel like playing it i did eventually uh complete it but not until after i'd uh, played the the wolf among us uh again with my wife all the way through we both quite enjoyed that um, I got to The Walking Dead and I quite enjoyed that, that I I, I probably came in that, that played it in that trough after the hype dies down a bit and um, and the jank come, comes through a bit. I was playing on an iPad, which wasn't a great, great place to play it. So wasn't too impressed by The Walking Dead, actually. Really enjoyed Borderlands 2. Haven't felt the need to ever go back to Borderlands but I just enjoyed my time with it at the time and, and beat the game and stuff um, Schluters and, and Diablo not really my my home genre so I think that's probably the only one of those I've ever got into and I quite enjoy the Borderlands humour and the Borderlands writing in a in a sort of aware way like I you know it's as plain as day the jokes they're making and the, the tone they're going for um, and I just sort of switch my brain off a bit and, and enjoy it let let it wash over me and then um tales from the borderlands an interesting one i can't remember kind of since it came out i've had two young kids and they've scrambled my brain so my memories of it are all a bit fuzzy i remember playing tales from the borderlands maybe three episodes or out or so and i picked up an ipad and the jank was extreme and i didn't particularly enjoy it when I started it and I put it down and then I came back to it and tried to play the first episode again put it down again didn't like it very much I think it was on PS plus I could be wrong or at least cheap on uh, on PSN and I picked up on PlayStation 4 which turned out to be a much better venue for it big screen and a kind of more focused um, uh, experience than on an iPad uh, and then, but it was just crazy janky. And 
um, even more janky, I think, than the iPad version. And it took me two years to actually get through all five episodes. Sadly, I haven't been able to go back to it because it's delisted on PS4. And um, and actually, I've been watching it on YouTube and really enjoying it <laughs> without having to kind of suddenly react to QuickTime events. So, yeah, I've had quite a rocky, rocky and, and not been attracted to any of the other Telltale series at all, really. None of the big licenses. Um, so, so, yeah, so uh, sort of my experience with Telltale started long before The Walking Dead hype. I, I didn't f- fall you know, fall for the hype for that one particularly. And and I had trouble getting all the way through my last Telltale game, which was Tales from the Borderlands. Uh, Now, neither of you have played Telltale's 2013 Poker Night 2, right? I I have played Poker Night 1. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have not played either of them, but it is the first appearance, is the first uh, uh, Telltale Borderlands crossover where Claptrap is one of the poker players, uh, along with Brock Samson uh, from uh, Venture Brothers, uh, voiced by Patrick Warburton, who, you know, we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, GLaDOS is the dealer. Uh, <laughs> Sam from Sam and Max. Sounds fun. But yeah, that uh, they had had this previous relationship. And, uh, and that, right, Sam and Max, Telltale, uh, The Walking Dead makes people think of them uh, as maybe, you know, purveyors of very dark and gritty material. But uh, a lot of their earlier stuff is comedy. I think my first experience of the Telltale game is one of the uh, episodic Homestar Runner uh, point and clicks on WiiWare. I played like the first two episodes of and enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, my experience with, I think I played this and Wolf Among Us probably summer of 2016, whenever they were on sale for, you know, 10 bucks for the whole shebang uh, for the first time. I picked them up and played them, uh, enjoyed them both. But at that point, uh, I had played Borderlands 2 for uh, five or 10 hours uh, on PlayStation 3, bought it very cheap and tried it and was like, this is fine. Uh, so really played Tales from the Borderlands the first time with only a sort of vague, you know, knowledge of Borderlands lore or whatever. Um, but I did go back and play it for this podcast. And it is after having uh, immersed myself a surprising amount in the Borderlands universe uh, because of two things, uh, virtual reality and my nephew. Uh, I have played through Borderlands 2 basically twice fully, uh, including a lot of the DLC in the last uh, two years, partly because uh, I got the VR version and I, I really enjoy the aim controller. Uh, unlike, you know, the, the move controllers on PSVR don't have joysticks. So anything we are trying to uh, move around and do stuff and aim at stuff at the same time is very janky. Uh, I am... My superpower is absolute immunity to motion sickness in VR, uh, so I just want to zoom around. Uh, The one thing I don't like about Borderlands 2 VR is they they disabled the ability to run. Um, But uh, partly, yeah, so I just started playing it because uh, I like running around and pointing at things and shooting with a plastic gun that looks like a real funny, you know, Borderlands gun. Um, But between that and uh it schluters are a good you know me and my nephew who's about 20 uh like to have some game that we can play that's kind of medium intensity uh so that we can chat about other stuff while we're playing it on like something like you know overwatch or whatever uh so uh we played some destiny you know then we went on to borderlands 2 so um i got pretty deep into both of those and we're now we've started poking at borderlands 3 uh and um 
Yeah, I it's grown on me. I did not think it would, but especially the DLC in Borderlands 2, I do think there's a sense of humor there. Uh, you know, some of the I'm I'm not a big fan of hyperviolence, I'm not a big fan of uh a lot of his sort of approach to satire, but there is a weirdly good-natured uh, rhythm to a lot of it, that a lot of the jokes of some of the characters are uh, Torg and Shade and uh, Captain Scarlet and DLC are all way nicer than they should be. And that seems to be part of the joke. And I do kind of enjoy, like, there's oddly good vibes considering uh, it is a game with psychos and face peeling off and all that stuff. And so, yeah, I was looking forward to going back to this, basically wondering, I had vague memories of really enjoying it the first time but didn't really remember the plot or anything and was just wondering, you know, how I would react to it now that I've immersed myself uh, in that world somewhat. I guess let's go to a forum post. Uh, let's, and we'll talk about uh, some, of the, some of the art and the music. Uh, R. Cheese writes, uh, sharp writing, interesting storytelling, and a fantastic soundtrack are what stick out to me with Tales from the Borderlands. In hindsight, it is yet another Telltale game with minimal gameplay and a fair amount of jank. But the characters mixed with the way they realized Pandora made this such an enthralling episodic series for me from start to finish. And again, the music. The opening of the first episode is still one of my favorite video game sequences ever. I love the way they employed the use of the song Busy Earning by the band Jungle. I think using a song to kick off the start of each episode was truly a great way to set this series apart from other Telltale games. Um, so yeah, let me, let me throw it to you guys. Just in terms of the overall audiovisual aesthetic, you know, uh, did you enjoy just looking and listening to it on the most basic level? Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think Telltale um, are benefiting hugely from the fact that Borderlands already kind of established this cel-shaded cartoony look, which looks good even when you don't have the technical horsepower to uh, render the most, you know, uh, detailed games out there. Telltale um did the you know employed this with The Walking Dead and The Wolf Among Us as well. And I think they're benefiting a lot here from having um pre you know the this series already previously established their very stylized look. And it looks really good here. Arguably they get that from Borderlands One. I mean you can kind of see those those games you mentioned. It yeah. wouldn't be a stretch to say that Telltale looked at you know, gearboxes, borderlands, and thought, well, that's a that kind of you know the the art the it fits. It, yeah, exactly the illustrated yeah. way, but with with cell shaded as well. Yeah, yeah, and I I think in general the character designs are really strong, and I, I'm talking about the original character designs for this game, not just the the reintroduction of characters from the Borderlands series um, themselves. I think Reese. And Fiona have both got really good look, like instantly recognizable, um, iconic looks to them. Um, and uh, the music, I have to say, the music that's actually the original composition of this game didn't really stick with me. But those opening sequences um, with the licensed tracks, um, Busy Earning is particularly memorable in that that first episode, but also um, one of my favourites is the second episode with Kiss the Sky, that slow-mo sequence. Um, I think they're just really, um, really fantastically employed. It does mean that it's a nightmare to 
look them up on YouTube because I just I really love just watching those opening sequences and I don't want to have to actually load up the game to see to see them but yeah because of the na- nature of uh, music licensing it means it's a it's an absolute nightmare if you want to just uh, experience those uh, those moments passively but yeah I think in general the the audio aesthetic visual component of this game is really strong and probably um second only to the wolf among us for me in terms of just style and flair because mm, they had the the neon thing yeah. going for them in that one or certainly the, the opening sequence is really really strong for wolf among us i mean i've yeah. loved jared emerson johnson's stuff since sam and max where he did this absolutely bananas off the wall kind of uh, uh jazz ensemble stuff that's so witty and fun and silly I mean, he's incredibly versatile, obviously, but he's been in the game a long time, even by this point. And when it gets to the fantasy stuff and the sci-fi stuff and the the synth stuff, he's just kind of a very experienced hand. But it does... I remember it seeping into the background, which is kind of what it's supposed to do, but I remember it not beating me around the head. I just listened to his orchestrated main theme a few minutes ago. I was like, this is great. I don't remember this at all from... (laughs) From the game, or it was a couple of years ago. But those those licensed song picks are excellent. And I, I think it's, uh, we've already kind of, you know, it would be nice to almost be able to credit the personal people who chose those because it is a, a not an easy thing to do to get the right piece of mu- contemporary music and then to license it into the game and all that entails. And obviously the licensing of those things has complicating factors further down the line as we can tell because you can't watch the sequences properly on youtube and then gta 4 had to have a load of stuff patched out and etc etc so definitely kudos to the people who picked those tracks and then uh especially the you know the the cinematography and the editing in those those opening sequences and how well it fits with the music it makes a really really strong impact and it's an emotional thing as well there's the um first aid kit song which I believe is closing credits on the fifth episode, so the sort of finish of the whole thing. And it's just the sound of it is just perfect. It just really fits the game. It gives you an emotional cushion to start chewing on what you've kind of experienced whilst playing. So so overall, the music is excellent, even if perhaps the original score is kind of very good, but very uh, not um, particularly... St- stand out i hate to say that about a really really good composer but it didn't stand out to me so so i guess that's that um well right i mean it's it's chameleonic and and you know he's a, a total professional and i think actually right it'll be funny when we get to the uh talk about the the actors in the cast uh where some of them i i, I have heard in other games would never have recognized them uh where you know they're very much adapting to the situation. And yeah, there's in in the oral history. There's a very interesting part about Busy Earning, where it is the third or fourth song they pick, and they have paid you know royalties for other tracks beforehand, and they're not uh, the favored child at Telltale by any means. Uh, and so you know people are starting to get annoyed at them for you know they they find this new song and they're just like oh no this is the one. Uh, but it really does. Bes- yeah, I think overall. It's hard to put your finger on, but one thing that makes this game hold together is that there is a sense of taste and there is a sense of, of like a coherent aesthetic in lots of little micro decisions 
Yeah. Um, and and yeah, uh, considering how uh, Jumble, you know, when you read their oral history, people are moving on and off the job because uh, other projects, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm I'm very impressed at how well, yeah, it all holds together. And it's right. It's building on that very recognizable, uh, coherent Borderlands aesthetic. Uh, I'd mentioned the VR version. And one reason that it, I really enjoy that is it looks so good. It is about as representational as you're going to get in the limitations of PlayStation VR uh, and still kind of look sharp and crisp and, you know. It's a slight shame, isn't it, that it feels like, and this is speculation, that the calculation with the development of this, and obviously we know that Telltale wasn't the best run company, to, to put it mildly, but that the calculation wasn't, let's make this as high quality as possible and that wow that first episode really came together well let's let's really nail the the landing for all of it it seems to be more that okay what are these huge ips we've brought in through the door and which is going to make us the most money yeah no it's i mean people are getting pulled off this for the minecraft game people are getting pulled off this for game of thrones i mean there's a lot of yeah i mean the the thorough history is ultimately celebratory but does not sound like a pleasant experience in a lot of ways although several times people are like saying how much more they enjoy working on this than The Walking Dead, just because it's not like, how do I get people incredibly sad and depressed, <laughs> you know, or like, yeah, I have yeah. to look up gunshot wounds for the next three hours or, you know. Um, yeah, because when because when someone's eyeball gets scooped out with a spork, you can, cho- <laughs> you can choose the goofiest sound effect possible. And it's not going to tank, you know, it's not going to undermine the scene. It's only going to elevate it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You don't need you don't need to do quite as much uh, historical reference. I, I have to say, just looking up this stuff about the, the development history of the game, I think it it is frankly a miracle that the game is the way it is because you you name you name checked some of the, the projects that um, staff were pulled off of this to work on. And like Game of Thrones and uh, Minecraft, like everyone, you know, is entitled to their own opinion. But I get the sense that the consensus is pretty negative on both of those titles. And um, whereas this, like, this is held up in much higher regard. And it's it's just funny that to think that like potentially those two titles had more resource and r- more money to hand than this project did. And yet this is the one that turned out the way it did. And those ones turned out the way they did, the, the way they did. But yeah. Uh, I mean, they did mention that the uh, the one advantage of the skeleton crew is only the people who really cared about the project were still True. working yeah. on it. So, uh, you know, there's there's a silver lining, I guess. You know, how many hours were they working? And, and Yeah, they right. probably didn't have a fun time. And yeah. the jack, the jank on the fifth episode in particular, that kind of whole ending sequence with the traveler, and was just almost unbearable. I nearly, I nearly quit the whole game just because of the technical uh, problems I was yeah. having and the and the the lack of polish on that final episode. And that's really, I I have a very very high tolerance for for that kind yeah. of thing normally, but it was really irritating me. The more that the games went on. I, I will say that, um, and this is not to excuse any of that, Tom. Um, this is just possibly more just anyone listening to this thinking about checking out that, uh, checking out this game. Um, just be aware of version differences. Mm. Um, I was playing the PC version of this, and what like it's far from you know performance perfect, but I wasn't experiencing anywhere near the level 
that people were, you know, the level of jank that people were talking about on console and uh, on iPad. So if, you know, given the choice, um, I'd recommend, I'd steer people towards the PC version. It just seems to be the one that's the most stable and the most reliable out of the, ver- uh, out of the versions that are out I there. Mean, that said, uh, and it's good to note that, you shouldn't, yeah. you shouldn't have to Absolutely. steer clear yeah, of yeah, a, no, you know, I of a game on a major 100%. platform. I know these are kind of double A issues and stuff, and and this game might not have even got the patches it deserved because of the skeleton crew and all of that. But um, I, I I didn't play it. You know, the, all of the episodes were out. That it should have been a smoother experience than it was. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I will say that I have you know replayed it on my PS4 non-pro in the last week, and there's basically no jank. I didn't have any any problems right. come up of course it okay. is delisted so that doesn't help anyone uh oh one fun note about it being delisted is the my original plan for replaying it was for me and my nephew uh to play it together and share play uh but even though we both own it uh you can't do that because if it's not listed sony doesn't recognize it is actually existing i'm not quite sure so uh here's a comment from a control alt noob about sort of the humor and the writing and the characters which is you know probably the major part of the game in a way. Uh, I think back to this game so fondly. When people ask, what's the one game that you would erase from your memory to play again? This is the game that always comes to mind, and I'd store it for next time I'm feeling low. The dark humor, bizarre situations, the characters that somehow almost felt like real people, an overall wacky and chaotic but brilliant vibe made for an unforgettable experience. This is the funniest game I've ever played. Years later, it still brings tears to my eyes remembering certain scenes and jokes that gave me belly laughs. Often in these games, you might pick a dialogue option only for the character to say something different from what you expected. But for me, every choice I made felt like it led to the perfect response. Uh, and yeah, there's a, a real... Uh, some impressive people working on this game. So, right, uh, Reese is Troy Baker, who is in everything. He's Sam Drake in Uncharted 4, Joel in Last of Us, Booker DeWitt in Bioshock Infinite, Batman in the Lego and Telltale Batman games, and... And here's the part I did not realize and is very chameleonic because uh, both him and Fiona were in Persona 4. And if you had told me that, I would not have guessed the <laughs> correct characters by a long shot. I think I try to figure this out because uh, I once I saw it, I knew. Uh, but I think I would have said Yosuke and Yukiko. But in fact, <laughs> Troy Baker was Kanji uh, Tatsumi and uh, Fiona, played by Laura Bailey, uh, was Risei Kujikawa. Uh, Laura Bailey also is Jaina Proudmore on World of Warcraft. Uh, Vexhalia the Elf on Critical Role. I mean, I, I get the sense I, I didn't look at IMDb pages of voice actors, but you know the 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 veterans, the pros, they get a lot. They do a lot of jobs. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there's just the I, this, this didn't feel like a very Troy Baker Troy Baker performance. I actually was quite happy forgetting it was Troy Baker for once. Yeah, yeah. I. I because uh, Troy Baker, before he exploded in popularity in the the video game voice acting arena, he did a lot of work for um, anime, for English dubs of anime. And in that arena, he does play a lot of characters like this character. So it was almost like he was kind of going back to... Um, the work he was doing previously, before you know, suddenly Joel and and Booker Dewitt put him in the put him in the limelight, and it was like like you say, Tom, it was like really refreshing to hear a different side to him after so long being the kind of like typical tough guy video game protagonist. Yeah, just it was jo- nice just to... joyless and gruff. 
Whereas yeah, Reese yeah. is there's there's quite a few sides to Reese actually. It's a multi-dimensional yeah. performance. He's sleazy, but he has the capacity for change. He's you know witty and and slimy and kind of quite earnest in uh, uh, points. It's uh, it's and uh, Laura Bailey's also explores lots of different sides to Fiona because of course it's such an adventure. Those characters find themselves very vulnerable at points. They find themselves very powerful at points. They have people that are close to them that affect uh, uh, how they act in different scenarios. Um, so I think it's a it's really really strong performance from both of them. And I didn't feel like oh I've heard that voice before. Yeah, I I mean I uh, didn't think about who they were the first time I played it certainly, and even until I started looking it up the second time. I yeah I they're well rounded and that is the funny thing is I mean the only ones of these games that I've played deeply I've played a little bit of Uncharted and Bioshock but they're not really my thing but I have played Persona Four twice through two and a half <laughs> times uh, and it is very fun like I think you know there's definitely other instances that these two actors um, have worked you know uh, exchange witty repartee this I'm guessing you can't cross reference on IMDb might be like the seventh job they've had to get you know <laughs> um yeah. and just their their interactions felt really natural uh and they yeah i mean it, it, the 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 most positive spin on chameleonic in that sense of yeah like, i would not have thought of them as having the repartee of kanji and risa in persona 4 but a completely different interaction that felt equally natural well well to me like and i i think this is one of the reasons why i end up Re, you know, feeling really positively about um, Tales from the Borderlands is that it's such a good pairing of performance, vocal performance, and um, writing, and it ends up feel like the two characters, Reese and Fiona, end up feeling like really great sitcom protagonists. Um, and I mean, like, I don't mean um, sitcoms that are just kind of silly and wacky for the sake of it like i'm i'm talking about sitcoms where you're both laughing you know at or with the characters and still getting invested in them though there's mm. still enough depth there that you're you're emotionally attached so it's something like a parks and rec or a or a, or a community, or or uh, I've completely blanked on British well, sitcoms, but well, Friends, um, Seinfeld, coupling, yeah, um, yeah, exactly, Red Dwarf. yeah, yeah. yeah the, those shows where where they kind of go above and beyond just the jokes and actually get you to, and you know, like p the best humor is humor that comes from character, not just um, you know set up punchline. Um, and I think they do such a good job of get you know getting you to understand what makes these two characters tick that towards the latter episodes some of the humor just comes from understanding these two rather than just simple puns or wordplay or anything like that and i think it's really really strong character work with I mean, these two you've you've just sent a, a a flag up my flagpole in terms of sick like i'd never thought of it as a sitcom but that is a brilliant yeah brilliant way to to think of it actually and on those terms i would take another sitcom game from this team of writers you know in a heartbeat ideally without the telltale engine jank um which <laughs> which I, I i expect died with the company or uh, anticipate but just uh, across the whole cast the consistent level of the humor 
and and kind of how easy it is for the voice actors to really have fun with it. There's only there's only one character where I look at, and this is more maybe an art thing or it could be a casting thing where with Felix, he's got quite a plummy, plummy um, voice, and I didn't I didn't feel at all that the voice and the character matched well together. But that was the that was literally the only person where I even even thought about it, and everyone else was just tremendously uh, enjoyable, especially Vasquez, who for me kind of steals the show. Well, he's right. That's the funny. He's the exact opposite of a chameleon. Like within the first phoneme, you're like, "Hey, Patrick Warburton." Like yeah. that's that's Patrick Warburton. He's Putty. He's the Tick. He's Brock Samson. He always sounds like like it's John Benjamin. He's just one of those people who will always sound exactly the same, and you'll be very happy about it. Um, and yeah, I think you know his uh, his performance is as always uh, delightful. He's a, a, a wonderful heel. Uh, it is interesting that they, you know, it, it, I had forgotten that he, you know, dies halfway through the whole thing um, uh, because they certainly set him up in a way to be the big villain. But of course, uh, that wouldn't be much of a twist. Mm, they, they, uh, there's, I was talking to Josh a couple of weeks ago before I'd reminded myself whether I did or didn't like the game. Watching on watching on youtube to try and catch up for this episode i found myself enjoying the character work a lot more uh appreciating the jokes and the writing obviously because i'm only focused on that and i'm not worrying about qtes and stuff but um which make makes me ponder is this a game where i enjoy the video really genuinely enjoy the video part more than the game and actually perhaps even does the game part detract from how good the writing and the performances are um, and I was also saying, based on my fuzzy memories, I, I kind of felt like the writing, I know we're talking about acting and writing at the same time here. I kind of feel like the writing of the, I feel less like this now, the writing of the male characters felt to me more funny and rounded. And I recognize more of those people from real life, although they're heightened here. And the the the, the lady characters, perhaps slightly less, but that might just be because I'm a bloke. I don't know. But it felt like Fiona and Sasha, um, Yvette, there was slightly less colour to them, texture to them. I'm not sure if, if that actually holds up as a criticism or that's just me. I think I think one thing you can say is that most of the women are adopting the straight person, you know, straight man role um, in the comedy duo scenario. And most of the men are as wet as black, you know, wet as it can it can be in terms of their humor so like all the silly stuff all the ridiculous stuff is reserved for reese and vaughn and vasquez and um yvette you know yvette fiona um sasha um they tend to be the more sarky characters who kind of just react to whatever's happening in the in, in whatever scenarios unfurling well there's there's um, a, so, the, the relationship between athena and i'm blanking on her her girlfriend's uh, name that that was a very strong point for me i really enjoyed yeah. kind of reminding myself about that and to have there's something about when australians turn up in games that just <laughs> delights yeah. me i don't know why it just it just this you just don't hear it that often it's like with when uh, with mr drippy in uh, Nino Cooney is this extraordinary Welsh accent. Just the fact it just sticks out in a really entertaining way. Yeah, there's there's kind of this trend where if something's historical, it's a British accent, yeah. and if something's modern, it's an American accent. 
and all these other varieties of uh, English accent kind of get ignored. Um, or if they're a dwarf, they're Scottish. Um, and it's and it, yeah, I agree with you. It's nice to kind of actually hear Australian, and it not that not be the joke. Like often, I feel like Australian um, is used so that the accent is the joke. That's what you're laughing at, and it's nice to just have a character who has that accent, and uh, and it not be um, the point, which is good. Um, I have to say, I have, because we haven't, um, you were talking before, Tom, about whether or not you felt like the reason why you liked this this game was mainly for just the humor in its authored state and the the points at which the player kind of interacts with the game is maybe not your most enjoyable aspect of the game. I would counter that Um and say that one of the, some of my favorite moments in Tales from the Borderlands is when it invites you to be part of the joke construction. Um, there's one scene in particular that really stuck out with me, and there's there there are more scenes um, like this throughout the the later episodes. But this was in the first episode with um, when Loaderbot first appears, and you start having to pick. Um, what weapons and what defense mechanisms he's going to use. And at first, like, I had my gamer brain on, and I was like, right, what are what are the most effective weapons going to be? And then I stopped myself and go, no, 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 Josh, this is a comedy game. So this, is not, <laughs> this is not about picking the most efficient loadout. This is about picking the funniest weapons that you can get. So one of the choices was um, between a uh, machine gun, practical, efficient, you know, maximum kill power, whatever. And then the other one was just like grenades. And I thought, look, grenades probably have the better potential for comedy out of the two. And like looking at the video footage of the game um, between the two choices, I feel like I made the funnier choice. Um, the grenades, there's some humor about throwing them like, but you know, like a baseball and stuff like that. It was just much more entertaining. There was much more flair in the animation for um, Loaderbot. And the machine gun just felt like just a typical kind of action sequence. And there are several moments like that throughout throughout Tales from the Borderlands where it invites you. Obviously, it's super scripted. It's still an authored joke, but just kind of offering the player to pick their flavor of funny or pick mm. like choose. Like sometimes it's just a choice of do you want to do this seriously or do you want to you do you want to hear the funny joke that we've written. And I, I really like those moments of interactivity where they invited the player to do that. It's a really brilliant point, Josh. And um, I think I, I want to refine my criticism of, of the, like, the mechanics to mainly, I think, mainly just the QTEs. But I definitely remember enjoying more that, you know, picking dialogue um, and the timers on those and the jokes within that and being able to, you know, insult people in a variety of ways because you get you get two hits at the joke you get to read as ever from monkey island and and further back you get to read the response the choices of the responses and find humor in the range and um you know difference between those and then actually 
put into play whatever you think might be the most entertaining um mm. so so you're absolutely right that and that it, it's a very rich I mean, that is where the game is for me that the quality of all of this is is yeah. in that in that rich humor and being part of it you're absolutely right there's there's other stuff like there's some long form jokes that um the game does such a great job of like building up so one of my one of my favorites was um it's so simple it's just enhance you know the typical like um uh, cia type thing when they're looking at criminal footage and people will say enhance and they'll like close up on the the image and there're just several points in the game where you get the choice to um as fiona um say enhance and it doesn't work and nothing happens um and then and then <laughs> there's also the, uh, there's the, finger, a point... the finger gun fight as well yeah sorry yeah yeah and then like uh, the yeah with the enhanced uh, gag like uh, one of the other characters actually manages to get it working and then they go oh wow it works when you do it when you do it does it and you just meant yeah tom you just mentioned the finger gun battle i just think that's a brilliant piece of like visual comedy and that's the that's the thing that really sticks with me with tales from the borderlands it's not just the writing I think the quality of direction and editing in this is so much stronger than any of the other Telltale games that I've played. Um, there's a Edgar Wrightness to the way uh, this this series uses visuals and editing to enhance the humor um, that I found so refreshing. Mm. And even though the animation can be a little bit stiff and a little bit awkward. And it still suffers from those, you know, technical issues that we've mentioned earlier. The fact that, for lack of a better way of framing this, whoever's behind the camera, whoever's editing the film, um, it it all snaps together and it feels pacey and um and has the momentum of a really good action comedy like Hot Fuzz or yeah. Baby Driver. And in that finger gun fight. There's stuff like split screen where it's, you know, very cartoon panels come across and then suddenly that's involved with the mechanics as well. Um, that's, like you say, a uh, baby driver, that kind of thing uh, makes it much more exciting to play. I, I just I kind of wish they could just reconvene this creative team and give them another go. Maybe not even in this kind of IP or whatever, it, it, something fresh maybe. But they, they really... There's so much quality work happening here and it and it makes it extra frustrating. Every time I think about it, it makes it extra frustrating having to work within those, not even technical limitations, but just fight against those technical, lack of technical resources. Um, but they, they do achieve so much, it's true. Yeah, I mean, the, the finger gun fight comes about because they don't have the technical resources to do... Uh, you know, a big VFX sequence in episode five and do anything uh, VFX related in episode four, right? So that that's there. It's almost, uh, the second I'm playing it, it does almost feel like a meta joke um, about like, well, we, you know, here's your big action sequence. Um, and yeah, it's great. It's, it's, it's incredibly goofy, uh, but uh, it's, yeah, the, the way that it's edited together, everything about it, um, you know, it brings you along for the ride. And it's, uh, there's just, again, sort of a joyfulness uh, to this team uh, that comes through, you know, 
everything they do. And and just that basic aesthetic of, again, a lot of people were, had worked on The Walking Dead and were like, you know, they put a lot of work into like, okay, how do I make these both these choices very excruciating, you know, so that the person has trouble deciding between them because they both make them have nightmares. Uh, and in this case, it's just the exact opposite of like, how can we make both choices so tempting? Because, you know, you get to right, you get to complete the joke, you get to be part of the fun. Um, Right. The one I just think of as the canonical one is the, you know, when you're uh, playing is Reese and at the beginning and you're you're talking to Vaughn and there's the deal with the fake uh, purple thing and uh, you get the choice, you know, uh, break his heart or blow his mind. Right. <laughs> and of course, it all turns out to be false because this is you as Reese telling it in a flashback and you just begged like a baby. Uh, but, you know, it is that's the perfect uh, Borderlands choice of just like, which of these sounds more fun? And and I do think that just in terms of sort of writing structurally, the fact that the whole, almost the whole game is in flashback is kind of brilliant in that it automatically removes the stakes on some level in a way that makes it function as a comedy, right? Because you know, no matter what you do, these characters do not die because they're telling you about it. Um, and in a way, I think of it because it, it was basically contemporaneous with Life is Strange. And I think of both of them as maybe kind of responses to, you know, the first time someone plays through Walking Dead, maybe they feel like their choices, you know, had an immense impact on the story. Then the second time you play through it, you realize how much of your choices are really just inflecting the story that is going to be told anyway. Uh, and maybe people get a little cynical at that point, right? And and if you're making one of these games, you need to think about um, how do I deflect or mitigate that cynicism. And I think Life is Strange sort of does it by, you know, you've got the little time travel of like, you make a choice, you're like, oh, that's terrible. Then you rewind, you make the other choice, and you're like, oh, that's not good either. Okay, I get it. Um, and in this case, it's just, oh, it's it's pretty much on flashback. Whatever you end up choosing, it matters, but you're going to end up here being dragged by this mysterious guy one way or the other. So just relax and enjoy the ride. Yeah. Um, I mean, relax I think... and enjoy the ride is, is crucial for, I think, for this style of video game, or at least it, it has felt like that to me. Yeah, and I think I enjoyed the first two episodes uh, a little more than three and four, partially because they do. I did notice the flash, the reference to it being a flashback becomes less and less common as you go through it, uh, and it becomes more of a straight action like it's trying to make you forget that there are not actually stakes here and these characters definitely, you know, at least survive to the point where they're telling the story. Um, and that's fine. But like I did, the first two episodes felt more, there was more character development and the plot points helped develop the characters. Episode three especially did feel very chase the mcguffin in some ways, although in, in fun ways. Mm. Um, but um but yeah, I, I certainly enjoyed the game the most when it was that kind of sitcom dyad, like how does this character bounce off of that character um, that we were talking about earlier. It's, it's, that's interesting. It's something I felt with Life is Strange is that I felt like that first episode is setting up uh, uh, exactly as you say, I find this difficult to put into words, exactly as you say, the construct of Tales of the Borderlands, if they'd carried that all the way through maybe a bit more consistently, it it would have been more rewarding. Um, Life is strange. Also, I I seem to remember again. It's been a few years and a couple of young children and lots of sleep deprivation. It's I seem to remember 
being disappointed that it didn't quite keep up the same pace of storytelling innovation. That's a bit vague, but um, I definitely enjoy this kind of looking. There's a lot of humour to be milked, I think, out of kind of, well, it went like this. Like, no, it didn't. You're just uh, trying to big yourself up. But on, on reflection, actually, though, how many times can you play that gag? You know, sitcoms are 20 minutes an episode, 25 minutes. And you usually have the structure for the episode and then you don't necessarily, you probably don't ever use that same structure again, the immediate following episode to keep it, to keep it all fresh. So, so I can kind of forgive them a little bit for moving away from that same kind of, well, he said, she said idea, even though it's a very, very strong central concept. Just to get back to the, the cast list quickly. Um, shout out to Raisin Varner, who's the um, yes, the yeah. Borderlands Three uh, senior, the music director on Borderlands Three, and he's a I with my work for Lace Records on on some of the stuff we've been working with him lately, and uh, um, he did a lot of different jobs earlier on in the Borderlands series. He's been there pretty much for the whole time. He does the voice of Loderbot here, and Loderbot is you know one of those lovable characters. He gets a great arc as well. Um, and they get quite a lot of mileage out of that that gag, and it's it's quite enjoyable. I think, like, sorry, just to to bounce off of what you're saying there, Tom, with um, with Loaderbot. Um, one of the things I, I mentioned earlier was how this game does a good job of getting you invested in these characters in the same way, like a really good story driven sitcom does, where it's not just the jokes; like, you care, you actually you care about these people. The moment um, at the beginning of episode five where Loderbot loads you um, into an escape pod and Reese turns back to him and says, wait, wait, there's not enough room for you in here. And Loderbot just goes, I know, and then closes the door (laughs) and clicks that button. It really, like, not like, it wasn't like, last of us level you know end of the walking dead level but i was kind of caught off guard how uh how much i cared about loderbot and like his sacrifice actually meant something um and just watching reese see him gunned down and now you know ultimately loderbot's fine everyone's happy at the end um etc etc but in the moment I thought they just killed him off, and I, I, it was just like, no, you, I love the, I love Lodabot. No, how could you do this to me? Um, and I think it's just a testament, you know, given how like silly that character is on paper. Like, it's, I think it's a testament to how good the writing is that I actually cared. Yeah, there's, a, there's an amazing achievement. The, the more I think about it, there's an amazing achievement here, which is to both introduce new characters strong new characters very quickly identifiable you know with their own silhouette and all of that stuff about you know visual design uh but also recontextualize existing characters and it all feel uh, a, a piece with the borderlands world some of the reveals when um if i'm getting this right when you find out that august is valerie's son is that right yeah. it's suddenly yeah. it's suddenly a shock and suddenly that recontextualizes recontextualizes august's character in a moment and then three seconds later vasquez is dead if i'm getting that the right way around that it's just 
that kind of character work is just keeps things really peppy, really fun, the world consistent. It's it's just really strong across the board. Yeah, and it's impressive that right the big reveal of Loderbot being uh, the mysterious stranger uh, was not their original intention, and that even originally, according to that oral history, Loderbot was supposed to like if you self destructed him, he would just die at the end of that first episode uh, or middle of the first episode, and he wasn't going to come back. And they just they realized he was you know in, in all good sitcoms there is a Fonzie, there is an Urkel, there is a <laughs> you know there is your breakout, there is an Abed. Uh, there is your breakout character, and that was it, right? Loderbot, for whatever reason, has that quality. And um, yeah, I was uh, the 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 uh, robot body in Handsome Jack's office. I'd forgotten about that because in this replay, I had remembered that he was, uh, you know, uh, eventually unmasked as a stranger. And I was like, okay, how did they make this make any sense at all? Because you know, his body does not uh, that that thing is moving basically like a human. Uh, and then they cleverly, yeah, had that, uh, that robot body as a plot point in Handsome Jack's office. Uh, so when that came back around, I was like, oh, okay, it all, it all adds up. Good, good, good plot work there. Uh, cause yeah, I think it wasn't until episode three that they even decided, uh, who it was under that. Originally it was going to be zero, which, duh, who cares? Um, yeah, that would have been <laughs> yeah, too exactly. predictable. I mean, in some ways that would have been too predictable because just because of the character of zero and. But but yeah. also recontextualizing characters, Handsome Jack, sort of reinventing him. I mean, okay, he's the same character, but in the context of kind of the buddy, the frenemy uh, uh, hologram that's trapped inside you, and Reese and juxtaposing Reese as the slimy kind of climbing the corporate ladder uh, uh, guy, exec, you know, wannabe high executive, and then he's actually got stuck in his head the ultimate evil devil kind of ceo as it were and which which i i don't know how far the your choices can take you in either direction but it felt to me like having handsome jack around would push reese further away from any kind of ambition within hyperion to to climb that corporate ladder because at the top of it is an absolute or was an absolute monster well you know, a monster, but uh, but a monster with a point of view. I always I, I like <laughs> Handsome Jack a lot, I got to say. And going back to Borderlands 2, I was he is a he is a genuine uh, villain. And in the way that I mean, not that, you know, but for a video game character, he is surprisingly believable in his self justifications and the way he will say things that are technically true, like you killed his daughter or whatever. Uh, yet, you know, leave out a certain context. Um and uh, I definitely almost found almost it. Trumpian in a way. Yeah, no, I mean he's not a buffoon like Trump or Boris Johnson, but I really did think of he he is kind of a prescient character because there is something, you know, there are moments where I'll hear Trump. I hate to say it, but uh, the one I always think of is when uh, Taylor Swift endorsed some Democratic uh, candidate in like Virginia or whatever, and his response was, uh, "I now like her music twenty five percent less." And I was like, "Yeah, that's pretty much what I would have said." Uh, like <laughs> there is that combination of total lack of self-awareness and hyper self-awareness, that kind of jaunty evil, uh, and the fact that right, occasionally sort of weirdly arrestingly, you know, when handsome Jack is talking about, uh, the mistake I made was not like paying off the vault hunters with stock options. It was, you know, I should have tried to bring them in. Like it's not on a reason, on a reasonable point, right? He can sound like, you know, 
what's behind it because you know how plots work. You know he's going to screw you over. Uh, but I, you know, each time I was very tempted to just be like, yeah, we can we can work together. You seem reasonable. <laughs> it is a great character moment when he tries to, you know, almost straight away when he's introduced, tries to rip out Reese's throat and he just goes straight through him. That, that is it. And then keeps trying. That is a, that is a great gag for me. Yeah, and you know he he calls Vasquez Wallethead, and that does have a you know Trump calling Jeb Bush names or something kind of quality to it. You know he's a yeah he's an indelible character, and uh, I don't know if he if he's dead dead, but you know we'll, we'll see. I haven't played far enough into Borderlands Three for him to show up. So Erin Avet, we we have neglected to mention, and she's very interesting. She this was she started kind of as a uh, voice actress with Telltale. She was Molly in The Walking Dead and Snow White in Wolf Among Us and does voices in pretty much all the Batman uh, Telltale games. She was Vicky Vale in Batman. Uh, but also, like, she seems like the person uh, in this cast list who would be uh, most fun to just kind of chat about games with because she, in the oral history, seems like the one person who really had played a bunch of Borderlands and was excited, you know, being a voice uh, actor on that particular game franchise. Uh, she worked, she was teen one in Firewatch, but more importantly, uh, did administration and support for Campo Santo for a few years. Uh, she's the main character in Oxenfree, uh, Alex, which I have not played yet, but I've heard is very good. And I think tries to take the kind of interrupting conversation, getting the rhythm right of interactive conversation, you know, one step further than Telltale. Uh, and yeah, seems like, seems like a person who probably has very good taste in video games. But yeah, what did you, uh, you all... Uh, think of her performance i i performance i can't criticize the character i felt was a bit putty like in that she sort of uh, she did have plenty of emotions but in each scene i felt like she was just being the emotional character that the scene needed rather than mm. it felt like there was a strong through line for her that might be unfair. I'm not completely sure of that opinion, but it did feel like she's the least clear in my mind of, of who she is and what is motivating her. Right. Other yeah, than the I, rational I, things like get off this hell planet and... Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. all of her personality is, right, again, sort of un, unexceptionable, but, right, maybe not as well-defined as some of the other characters. Yeah. I, 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 do, I do find that I really like the decision to make um, Reese and Fiona a pl platonic partnership because I think there would have been some temptation there to make those two a couple. Um, but it does kind of feel like Sasha exists so that there is a love interest or some some kind of romance in this game. And I think it's it's good. Like, I, I'm not particularly invested in Reese and Sasha's relationship. But I, I, you know, as that kind of stuff goes in video games, I think it's well executed. It does just kind of feel like it's there because they felt like they needed to have that there, um, because they they maybe made the decision early on that that wasn't going to happen between Reese and Fiona. Yeah, I think there is something funny. I forget which one you mentioned before. Sort of the male versus the female characters, and female characters being a little too straight man, sort of just rational, right? Or, or, uh, and there is something interesting about how the game is done in flashback and you are both Reese and Fiona. And in some sense, they should be equal protagonists. 
but maybe it's because you start as Reese uh, and Fiona, you're not Fiona until like an hour into the game originally. And so you imprint in that way. But like, yeah, it, it, I, I see that of like Sasha's character does feel like it is there to give Reese a love interest to some extent. Although, again, I really like the vocal performance. Um, and I think if, you know, I, I'd like to see that character show up again. And, but right, get a little more of a, a particular storyline of their own. Which is funny because they do end up in the game more than so. Chris Hardwick, who was talked about earlier and who I've successfully attempted uh, avoided thinking about for over twenty five years, so I'm going to just leave it at that. Uh, but he, you know, he was fine in those first two episodes, but I wasn't displeased uh, to you know that it basically because he had other work. I guess he's really not in episodes three or four barely at all, um, and that uh, Sasha gets more time in that and that it does seem to be when uh the love interest starts and i do wonder if that was sort of just a reactive that was originally planned or if that was something that kind of came from well we have to bounce these characters off of each other more uh because that episodic i mean a couple of things you said about the development and the 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 stuff that the, the developers have said that is a really interesting thing about this game and the episodic model and each of these are being developed uh, in reaction to the last one um, that you may not even see within uh, a series of TV because they're kind of a breakneck speed writing, filming, writing, filming, writing, filming. Um, but they'd have a little bit more time, it seems, with the release of these and the de- development of these, that they, they, they do have time to react and to, to move the, the, you know, the levers of which character gets more time and, and how things progress. And that that feels different to another narrative game that just kind of, you know, like Firewatch or Oxenfree or any of these that just lands fully formed, you play it start to finish. Um, there's something interesting there um, uh, that this game, I think, pro- probably benefits from overall in terms of its writing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, one funny thing I just remembered, I remember reading about Telltale Games is that, so I always turn off the the little flag of like, Bob will remember this or whatever, because I find them distracting. Uh, but um, apparently all of those are real flags in the, you know, sort of the mechanics of the game, but not all of them actually end up triggering anything because when they put them in there, they don't really know if that's going to lead to anything or not. And <laughs> it's in there. And so if episode three does look at the flag on episode two of what you say to Bob, great. But a lot of them apparently are essentially uh, vestigial flags. Yeah, they're, uh, jo- they're jokes, they're gags in some ways. Um, right. Well, and some of them are just jokes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally, but also if you've, it relies on you having played a Telltale game before. Um, yeah. But I think that's a safe assumption they could make that a lot of people coming to this one particularly would have done. But uh, I quite, I quite enjoyed them. And I, it, it made me less stressed that I, you know, this game, like you say, just what's the most fun option? You, I just, I didn't feel any anxiety when, it said, yeah. you know, someone will remember this. I was like, oh, okay. And then when it was a gag, I was like, that's a funny gag. There, there's some, there's something really liberating about understanding what this game is going for versus Telltale's other stuff. Because if in a Game of Thrones or or a Walking Dead, you've literally got people's lives in your hands, and it was just nice to know that, even though there are characters that you know get put in harm's way it rarely ever puts you in that situation. So the characters will remember this, all of that stuff that becomes has become a part of kind of Telltale's shtick just became like 
just a fun toy to play with rather than this stress that they represent in in all of their all of their other more recent titles there's a more complicated version with the stranger in the flashback structure where you could have gone down that rabbit hole and had the whole when you're doing the retelling if you're choosing to tell the story in different ways and the stranger will remember this the stranger will remember that and it affect later in the game when when the game hits that point and then moves forward uh, and stops being in flashback. That could have been interesting, but ultimately I, I, I'm happy with how it ended up. Yeah. Uh, just to round out the uh, vocal performances, a few others uh, of mention. Uh, right, August was Nolan North, who was known for many places. Uh, Avet was Sola Bamis, who uh, is mostly as small parts on TV, but was surely on Mad Men. Uh, Valerie was Susan Silo, uh, whose first appearance was on the Jack Benny show in 1960. That delighted me to find out. She was also Sue, the lady ghost on the Pac-Man cartoon. So she's been she's been doing the work for a while. Uh, Gordis was Ashley Johnson, uh, who was Ellie in The Last of Us. Uh, and yeah, we should talk about Gordis. Uh, Gordis is a MacGuffin, but also a character. Um, how did you react to Gordis? Do you love Gordis? Is Gordis your baby Yoda? I I feel very warmly about Gortis having the having the MacGuffin be a character and a and a funny one at that who can sort of be the very very naive um you know naive character in the world everything's new to them ish uh, is is fun and it's good I remember it being good dialogue and liking the character and not minding it that it's this kind of high pitched voice not recognizing Ashley Johnson which is um you know signals that it was a a great performance as well so yeah i feel feel good about it all around yeah or if you can always make your MacGuffin an actual character if there's a lesson to be learned from this game and the mandalorian is make your MacGuffin an actual character and and the last of us Um, actually if you think about oh and the last of us yeah (laughs) because like um if it's just and uh, i like the i like these movies but if if your MacGuffin is just a stone that does magic stuff, people don't care about that stone. But if it's a character who grows attachments with everyone else, specifically Loderbot, and I like Loderbot, so I'm going to care about what Loderbot cares about, <laughs> then I'm going to be more invested in that kind of thread of the storyline. And ultimately, like I really like the way Gortz is used in that final episode, and and that that weird street fighter action sequence that they use um which suffers a bit from technical difficulties on um on various platforms but i thought the the joke the action jokes they used with gorts were were really funny and that that period um of episodes where gorts just has really big legs is just funny <laughs> it's just funny especially when you pair that with the fact that loderbot has lost his legs so it's just yeah, yeah. You lost your legs. Now I have big, chunky thighs. All of a sudden, um, yeah. I I thought yeah. I thought Gortz was very funny. There's there's great. Um, I know we've gone on for a long time about characters, but that is the core of the game. Yeah, there's yeah, some, just yeah. some great buddy buddy writing and and jokes all over this game, and and not just one partnership. Um, and not, you know, even though the game is built around the partnership between Fiona and Reese, in in my mind, that is the was the least interesting, you know, that there was the least chemistry between those two. And actually, it's all of the other pair ups and partnerships and um, 
oh, who's catch a ride guy? I've no oh, scooter, scooter. Just just all of that stuff, the character interactions and the buddy stuff, all around is where the the heart of the game is, and it's a it's a big heart for me. Yeah, well, you should R.I.P. Scooter. I forgot to write down the name of that actor who, sadly, I, well, I guess they'll still oh, it's, uh, it's um, uh, Mikey Neumann, isn't it? The guy who does movies with Mikey on no, YouTube. But he was also the one who wrote Claptrap. For, uh-huh. Hang on, I might be getting mixed up here. So Ray Zanvano, who's the, the, you know, senior, one of the senior audio sound designers and, and music people at, at Gearbox, Originally did, I think, voiced and wrote some of the, the Claptrap stuff. But Mike Neumann, Neiman, whatever his name is, sorry, came on board to kind of really push that, that type of humour forward with that character. Um, and I believe it's him who's voicing Scooter, presumably in the other, in the other Borderlands games as well. Uh, I always like Scooter. It's sad to see him go. Um, he's again uh, a very good-natured, right? Again, like the uh, is is surprising how many of the the essentially psychotic characters in Borderlands just are, you know, they're nice folks. Um, but uh, also uh, Kroger and Finch, right? The henchmen, interestingly, were played by Adam Harrington, who played Bigby Wolf in The Wolf Among Us, and Dave Fenoy, who played Lee in The Walking Dead. Um, and they were, uh, I don't know, they made me a little uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> they're a little, a little, uh, how good. Tobias Funke puts on a quote unquote urban youth uh, musical about thugs. I don't know. There's just something very. <laughs> yeah, I, I get what you're. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they yeah. are fine. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're tough guys. Uh, but it is yeah. funny that, yeah, they, they again, sort of a, a warm feeling, at least from uh, the two leads of the previous two uh, Telltale games being, uh, yeah. you know, characters in this one. Yeah. Everyone's pitching in. Well, let me read a, a forum comment. Here's just sort of a, a nice general one. This is uh, Pope Formosus, uh, a fantastic game. I came to this prior to the actual Borderlands series and was charmed instantly. The writing is pitch perfect, and the strength of character and humor set me on a very enjoyable trip of 100 hours or so through the main games and their accompanying DLC. It was also my first Telltale game. While I find all their other entries self-important and dull, the hollow gameplay mechanics of, quote, press square not to die passed wholly unnoticed in this entry. Telltale's standout work. A shame we saw no other entry. So, yeah, I guess uh, we should talk about the plot, but also I do want to ask both of you about your feelings about I was trying to come up with what is a quote-unquote Telltale game, right? Because there are previous ones. There's the Sam and Max games. There's They'd been around for a decade beforehand. But when people say that, they mean, like, a, again, Life is Strange is not a Telltale game, uh, technically, but it kind of is. Uh, other than, I guess, the dialogue responses are not quickly timed, right? I think mm. that be, because you've, you can time travel, I guess. But sort of the combination of very light point-and-click puzzles with basically a one-item inventory usually... You know, a strong sense of branching, but usually that's more of an inflection than a true branch. Uh, And a thing that you, again, cannot access because Telltale has to list this game, but I was kind of upset about. uh, I was not able to see how I pulled against all the other people playing it. You know, how many other people bro-fisted Vaughn or whatever. Um, But those polls, right, a very kind of key part of that. And certainly when you look at the first Walking Dead game, they seem to like try to keep those answers to 
become as close to 50-50 as possible, where they're almost balancing it, you know, so it's as hard a choice as possible and that the poll bears that out. Um, and of course, QTEs that have various levels of interactive importance. Um, mm. Any of those factors, particular favorites or not Well, I, I've already <laughs> said it eight times, but I, I remember not enjoying the QTEs at all in this game. It could be that that memory comes from playing on the iPad and, and not enjoying a couple of times I tried to get into it. But I also remember a couple of particular moments that were so frustrating. I remember them better than the rest of the game. <laughs> There's the one in the, is it the Atlas Biodome with Reese, where he's kind of tried to jump and he's falling off a, 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 a you know, a, Oh, yeah. Walkway or something. I just remember that being crazy frustrating for some reason. I don't know why. But generally, kind of wishing that I could just enjoy the game and not the QTs really catch me by surprise and not in a good way. um, I'm not the biggest fan of QTs, but um, judged on the curve, um, (laughs) I think these were pretty well implemented you know grat like just you know i was playing on a controller not on, on an ipad so that probably helps quite a, a great deal but also like i remember some of the qtes in the walking dead and how frustrating those were and i and i found this to be way more forgiving in terms of the timing mm. but also I think the action sequences did a better job of justifying their existence in this game than mm. they've done than they they did in uh, the Wolf Among Us or The Walking Dead. Um, just not just in terms of their narrative significance, but also just the quality of the direction and the. There was a lot of just running down hallways and then clicking an arrow so you don't bump into the wall in the wolf among us and all of that stuff which is just really dull and you go from that to this where you're like riding on the back of Loderbot who's just running with his two <laughs> arms and you're having to jump onto a truck and that's just so much more dynamic and exciting yeah. and just got me more engaged with the QTEs that this game was presenting and that that's um, where they they really the the IP of Borderlands really suits this well and what they've done yeah. in a great way to capitalizing it. Watching them back, the the action sequences are pretty thrilling, really. Uh, honestly, some yeah. of the vehicle stuff is really exciting just to just to watch from like you say, a directorial point of view. Um so so I think that's a really good marriage there. And uh, I'm I'm not having kind of terrible QTE flashbacks watching it back on YouTube. I mean, they're they're a mixed bag. I am I find QTs interesting because they are so like the puzzles, right? They're there for pacing. They're not there for challenge. And when they they try to be challenging, I did die four or five times in this game. Uh, I think when I was Fiona, and there's like you have to uh, basically do cover shooter. You have to like run and do cover, and there's lasers that will shoot you. I just couldn't get the timing right, uh, and she kept dying. And because you know, and then the game makes you watch a minute of dialogue again because it's not really the 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 it's not suited to be an arcade game in that way. So you, they need to make you start over as if that didn't happen, and it's just a very poor fit 
right, to, to have that kind of challenge in this game. I do like, like, anytime there would be an explanation of a heist or something, and they'd be detailing the plan, and you'd be, like, doing little swipey things, and it's like, and then we zip over here, and then we jump down there or whatever. Like, there is, they're incredibly dumb. You know, it's like a busy box uh, for a small baby, uh, and it works on me. Like, I'm just like, yeah, and then we go down there. Um, and I do find that kind of like, and right. The same with the puzzles where the only time I got quote unquote stuck on a puzzle was when I didn't realize Fiona had to walk toward the camera and there was like another area. It was the place where you, where you get the eyeball right from the guy. Uh, and I got stuck for like five minutes because I didn't realize you could sort of walk forward. Um, then besides that, you know, pick up this thing, put it down. Um, but I don't think it would be better without that. Like I, actually find the uninterestingness of it interesting in that it is only functioning as pacing and making it sort of feel interactive and it kind of works on me at least in this case right i would not want to play two of these games in a row uh but as kind of a uh you know a change in pace from games where the the mechanics are more the focus um i kind of enjoy that goofy busy boxiness of it anyway plot there's a lot of it. We don't need to go over all of it, but and we've already talked about a fair number of uh, moments through it. But um, yeah, is there anything uh, I had mentioned earlier that I, I sort of enjoyed the first and second episode more? Third or fifth were a bit of a dip for me. And then toward the end of the fourth or third and fourth, and then uh, end of fourth and the fifth. Yeah, the uh, the action sequences in the third one were good. They it just did feel the most MacGuffin-y of the episodes where uh, there was less character development and more just like, oh, well, now we have to go do this thing. Um, but besides that, you know, uh, I have strong positive feelings about about the, the twists and turns. The thing that strikes me about this season from Telltale is that you talk about there being some ups and downs in terms of episodes, but I felt, you know, compared to most of the other Telltale series, this was pretty consistent in terms of quality um, of the storytelling from episode to episode. I I mean, I'd agree there's a dip in episode three, and I think that's just the product of, like, midpoint storytelling, always having, like, a little bit of a dip in pacing and, and focus. But, like, I'm thinking back to The Wolf Among Us and just how gripped I was from episode one um, to episode two, and just like, oh my god, I, I cannot, cannot wait um, for what happens next, and just how the fuel of that engine just completely dissipated, and the conclusion of that story just left me wanting completely. Um, just the fact that they managed to keep this at the standard that they did, and with the skeleton crew that they had. I know I'm kind of reiterating what I said before, but I do think it's kind of a miracle that this game ended up with the consistent quality of writing and storytelling that it ended up having. having. Mm. I don't remember liking... I remember quite disliking bits of episodes. The beginning of episode one, only because I had to replay it three times, but still enjoying the writing in Vasquez and stuff like that. I remember being pretty uh upset by the the final action sequence of the fifth episode uh just for technical reasons and i seem to uh, the uh the, the final sasha 
um, you know, stuff, emotional beats didn't didn't do much for me. And then all of the rest of it, I played it in. I didn't play it in quick succession, but I didn't play it broken up by episode. So I don't have a strong opinion about whether one episode was better than the other. Which, but I did enjoy it overall. And thinking about the story overall, thinking about the characters of overall. So that seems to match Josh with what you're saying about consistency. I really do. I I like thinking about it about five separate chapters, but I don't care to kind of think, oh, this was a, a weak one. This was a strong one because now it doesn't matter because because there's we're not we're so far past the point that they're coming out episodically that there's kind of no use to that anymore it was only for an 11 month span uh, or a 13 month span whatever it was that that comparing the episodes uh, uh was particularly in, insightful for me unless you're looking at it from a you know strictly from a development viewpoint and seeing what decisions they made to change it in between but that's kind of academic in a way in terms of just enjoying the whole game it is pretty consistent with some weak moments for me yeah i uh right i mean for me it it, it was tonally i mean visa did just replay it in a period of about two weeks uh so experience you know pretty short succession right right i think uh josh said about the sort of the mid the mid story lull where there is just sort of like the plot has to sort of t- turn its gears. Uh, but besides that, um, yeah, I mean, I, I found this uh, very uh, a consistently enjoyable game uh, that I'm happy uh, I went back to. Here's a, a, a short excerpt, well, uh, a medium-length excerpt from a long <laughs> uh, forum post by Deadpool Negative. A very good one. I would recommend go on to the Cannon Rinse Forum, a very friendly forum. Uh, go on to the Tales from the Borderlands uh, thread and you could read the entire post but i'll give you uh, a sense of it here um he says uh, the borderlands games are pretty darn good shooters with vivid characters in a very game world however the chief weakness of the series is its writing the plotting is oftentimes sloppy or non-existent the jokes are obnoxious and i may be the only person on earth who thinks handsome jack is just irritating and not remotely threatening there's some interesting implications about how corporations tear up resources and leave them in ruins and profits run low but it's just that an implication I was a big fan of Telltale games, but just as often their narratives while entertaining would delve into ultraviolence as in the Batman games or oppressive grimness as in the Walking Dead series. Their stories would make mistakes or be plagued by the engine's constant jankiness. Came as a a somewhat of a surprise then that Tales from the Borderlands was and remains my favorite Telltale narrative adventure and my favorite of the Borderlands games I've played. When you play Batman, Walking Dead, or Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, the story mostly focuses on the character you're playing as and how others relate to you. With Tales from the Borderlands, you get the sense that there are stories and relationships that are going on outside of just your character's experience. While the player can influence the events of Vaughn's arc, for example, it feels independent with a beginning, middle, and end. While I wasn't happy to see Handsome Jack back, the game at least let me shove him to the side as needed, and the character, and more importantly, Damian Clark's performance, felt more nuanced this time around. Um, and yeah, I, as, as a person who doesn't like ultraviolence, certainly... Uh, and again, did not make it through all of The Walking Dead just because I'm a scary cat and uh, I don't want to. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to not play games that are super scary or violent. Um, one thing I did appreciate is that the discussing parts of this game, the humor is generally the character's absolutely horrified reaction to it. Right. More that like the uh, the face pizza. Not a fan, but it is more about Reese's gagging. Uh, and just the absolute horror he's going through then about putting it in your face in the same way. No pun intended. And I kind of appreciate, you know, that aspect 
of uh, if you're going to have gross out humor, at least let that be the focus. Yeah. And yeah, I do think right, like a good sitcom, you know, you had mentioned Parks and Rec or other shows like Community where, you know, it's not just the main kind of characters bouncing off each other in duos that make those. There's also, you know, Leonard on Community, this character that shows up for like 15 seconds every five episodes, but seems to have a rich inner life uh, on his own. And like there is I don't think this is at that level of like, um, you know, of fleshed outness, but even the fact that um what's their name the two the two guards are the uh, Kroger and Finch like there's a moment when one of them is scared on the rocket ship and he like reaches out and makes the other one hold his hand it's just like a nice little character moment kind of not referred to before or since uh but you know there yeah I think the willingness to kind of have to, to you know every every one of these characters even the most minor henchmen has their own point of view uh, and you do get you do get some of that I think there's there's with the the, go, the goriness or something. I there's something that makes me slightly uneasy. I haven't thought deeply enough to really be able to, I believe, hammer this point home in any way. And I think it has mostly to do with the Borderlands universe potentially. But there's a lot of like losing an arm or having your no face or there being the midget psychos who get sort of tossed around and and violently ended in various ways and. The, uh, and there's very large characters and there's very small characters and there's people getting burned and there's there's this i feel like there's a few tropes at play here that are fairly well worn and they probably come from borderlands and then beyond that the mad max kind of you know world of 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 not exactly post-apocalyptic but zany post-apocalyptic if you like wacky um stuff that make that doesn't quite sit that well with me but i haven't thought hard enough about it to really pinpoint an example where i could say look this is a bit unfair you're using really old fictional tropes of kind of um people without certain limbs or or or, or you know disfigurement in some way being a, a means that they they must be a bad guy or they suffer those things because they're a bad guy yeah, I think that's totally accurate that I, when you go back and play Borderlands 2, even though it's only been seven or eight years, like there's there's definitely bits of humor you're like, oh, that does not hold up well at all. Uh, and a lot of it is along those lines. I think having played those games a fair amount and having sort of thought about that, I do think one reason that it gets a pass for me is that it almost feels like Borderlands starts with the mechanics of like well this is a game where you shoot an immense number of people and then get loot and guns right and then it's like well what you know fictionally what world is that and it does flow organically from that premise right if you're gonna make a schluter this is the kind of world you end up on and it's really not nice and pleasant at all. And I do think that some of the best character moments in this are like in the very first episode when Reese and Vaughn land on the planet. And I think they run over a skag mm. uh, and like they're just horrified. Right. They're like, <laughs> oh, no, like we killed a thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, it just really hits them. Um, and right. And that certainly ties in with the finger guns being this kind of like they they are very coddled in their kind of you know Corporate, professional yeah. managerial class world. Right. Uh, and totally separated from the effects that their guns have. I don't think it goes into the like deeper implications of that. But like, I do think 
yeah, Borderlands, not unlike another, you know, sitcom, Married with Children, it does show there is a difference between crass and stupid. Uh, it is crass, but it's not stupid. Yeah, I, I, there, there's all sorts of jokes, like the, the gouging out of the eyeball, and then they find out the guy was just in stasis. <laughs> yes. There's some, there's some really good stuff in there. Or, or when Vaughn is, um, he's, he's like, you, you don't expect him to say this, but he's like, oh, I feel so alive. We're like, you know, running around Pandora with grifters. And then the next gag, of course, is like, oh, what's that? Um, so there's there's all sorts of nice touches up and down that, that touch on you know class and um, corporate you know corporate life uh, and also with the whole I th- I feel like this was a marketing angle before the game came out like juxtaposed with the two main characters in this this um, jumping between the two and the flashback elements having the the con artist from Pandora who has to operate in this rough world where you can't trust anybody and they do of course the arc with Sasha and Felix uh, leans very hard into that and of course in now I, the more I think about it the the more I like that angle that it's mirrored in the uh, the corporate hierarchy with handsome Jack and Vasquez and and um, Reese wanting to climb that ladder whereas the the people on Pandora are just trying to survive even though there's also a, a hierarchy of extreme that's that's the thing that unites them isn't it a hierarchy of extreme violence because even though you've got valerie um who just blows people away and is this mob boss you've also got vasquez who will happily shove a guy out the airlock just to uh just or, or demote reese in the most humiliating way as possible so so all of that is just rich uh, uh rich world building in a way that uh that the, the game is really strong at i think on reflection yeah, and I think where it's strong, again, in the first episode, just the moment where Zero shows up, who's not a particularly interesting character, really, in this context, but just the sense of being a non-Vault Hunter and having this sort of character show up and just, like, the absolute horror you would feel of just, you know, yeah. okay, this person yeah. can rip the world apart. I just don't want them to notice me. That's the only thing is just please don't even notice I'm here. Um, and I feel like it conveys like that, that sense, you know, very well of, of, yeah, there are a few moments with, uh, Vaughn and, and some of the other characters where like they're reacting in a, a human way to the, the incredible amount of violence around them in a way that is kind of, uh, genuine, I think. All right. Maybe one more, uh, forum post here by Emo Geekface. I love the Borderlands series anyway, and although different, Tales was such a great addition. I take part in a charity gaming marathon every Easter weekend, and last year we streamed Tales from the Borderlands one episode each evening for our viewers to settle into and get into the story, and it went down so well. The humor is on point, the characters are interesting in their own ways, and the dynamics between them all are fantastic, and the gameplay is just the right level to be interactive, but not draw you away from the storytelling. Also, Loderbot Heart. Before we get to three-word reviews, this is my first time hosting, so I'm very unsure about everything. So is there anything I've missed? <laughs> is there anything? I think we're good. I mean, like, honestly, the story and the characters are, are the game in a lot of ways. Yeah. And we've talked about the mechanics of Telltale games yeah. in previous issues. I think there's something to be said for the for the art and the colorfulness, though, that we maybe sh- should have touched on earlier. We we did talk about that, okay. didn't we? Cool. Maybe, maybe yeah. emphasize it in the summary. Yes, yeah, Actually. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's uh, time for three-word reviews. 
Uh, I'll start with Tom. So David Rush says, benchmark, telltale, tale-telling. Hecker Lugosi says, inexplicably good writing. Rose Laprinzo says, my heart hurts. Smatic Primo says, catch a ride. Emo Geekface says, bro, bro, bro. Tibbet and Bits says, favorite Borderlands game. And Scott G says, load of bot rules. Fidgety Acolyte says, need sequel badly. And John Smith 22189376 says, well, you know, there's a lot of other John Smiths out there. Uh, superior spinoff success. So now it's time for our summaries. Uh, we were going to have a fourth person on. Charlotte was going to be on, but unfortunately could not due to schedule conflicts. So instead, she wrote us up a very nice summary uh, that Josh uh, is going to read for us to start us off. Tales from the Borderlands is probably one of the most uncomfortable replays of a game that I've ever experienced. The game has been caught up in several controversies since its release, and try as I might, it was hard to completely look past this when I gave it another go. It's a bit of a shame because the game is a fairly good effort and definitely stands out against the more forgettable and perhaps slightly rubbish entries into Telltale's canon, such as the Game of Thrones adaptation. I've played the game twice, once as a benevolent Reese and another time as a handsome Jack sycophant. Both playthroughs had their own strengths, and at times I had a blast seeing the team bumble through various catastrophes. Even when they were at each other's throats, I wanted my makeshift team to succeed in getting to the vault. I always found Vaughn to be a wet blanket, and I can't say I felt very strongly about many of the main characters except for Reese and Fiona, to whom I felt somewhat close by the end of the storyline. The relationship between Gortz and Lodabot was a standout plot point, with both injecting some much-needed personality and intelligent humour into a game that was a little too top-heavy on the bro and your mom jokes. I mainly enjoyed Tales from the Borderlands for its wackiness and specific story moments, such as Scooter's self-sacrifice on the rocket rather than the holistic experience or any in-depth character portrayals. On the whole, I am glad I took the opportunity to see another side to Tales from the Borderlands, one where Handsome Jack tries to make a comeback but is quashed at the last minute. But I don't think I will bother playing the game for a third time, and I see no real need for any sort of sequel. It was a fun spin-off that added some meat to the bones of the Borderlands series, but it was a middling product from Telltale, and by no means a must-play. If you're looking for a must-play, pick up The Walking Dead Season 1 or The Wolf Among Us instead. I think, Tom, you would be next. So I, uh, this, I feel like things have got in the way of me having a better experience with this game the first time round. And it's not just uh, technical issues, you know, format uh, or, or platform rather. I think it's partly me, just how much commitment I put into actually getting into the game uh, the first time around, um, you know, maybe feeling less of a commitment to really stick it through uh, on a platform like the iPad and then shifting to the PS4 was definitely the the move I needed to kind of make it a more like 
watching a sitcom on TV and enjoying it that way. But even then, I I remember not going through it in one go and not uh, and taking quite a long time, even over I think over the course of years, to kind of finally see the end of it, and not feeling particularly strong about it in the intervening years. However, you know, preparing for these shows. Um, disappointed that I couldn't re-download it on PS4. I haven't got the PC to be able to play the, the quote-unquote best, most stable version of it. And having to do the much less good option of catching up on YouTube and reading about the game and kind of getting my brain back in it, I enjoyed it a lot more in some ways. Uh, really appreciated the structure of the story, the characters, the voice work, the art and the lighting and the colourfulness of the world. And all those little touches um, and and just even having this discussion and thinking about it more as a sitcom in the vein of a community or something like this, it makes me really wish they could somehow get the core, the core tales from the Borderlands team back together to make something else. Doesn't even have to be Borderlands. I don't feel like I need a sequel to this series. If anything, it would be, uh, you know, I'd love to see a borderlands game a schluter or a shooter or some other um genre take on borderlands that that incorporates this quality of writing um and this kind of uh, dedication to having really colorful characters and uh, witty banter and human reactions and uh, sight gags and set up and punchlines and put downs and all the different types of humor that that comes through this game um, and all of those shone through much better just watching it. I don't mean to uh, criticise the mechanics that much. I just had a problem with a few quick times, really. I did enjoy all the dialogue choices and the timing of that and sort of was fairly familiar with those systems by then. So I didn't find it a, a difficult game to play through in that sense. And yeah, I definitely... I think I would recommend it to people if they could even play it, depending on if it's gonna if it's gonna get uh, if it's gonna come back. Um, but yeah, standout music moments, really strong characters, and um, just enjoyable, just fun overall. If the if the quick times don't get you, and uh, yeah, I don't think I, I feel as uh, sort of blah about it as as Charlotte does in terms of not recommending it. I definitely would recommend it to people, with the caveat that it's. It's one of those Telltale games. There is the the Telltale engine jank, and um, and yeah, and if if I would caveat and say if if you don't think you like the humour from about halfway through the first episode, you're probably not going. It's not going to catch up to you. You're not going to suddenly find the second or third episode um, uh, tickles you in the right way in a different way. So, uh, but yes, I think a uh, uh, medium recommendation for me. All right. Uh, I, I totally give this game a positive recommendation because I should ride my exercise bike more often, and it is exactly the kind of game you want to play when you're riding an exercise bike, where you're like, ah, I want something to do with my hands occasionally. Uh, I kind of want to watch a show, but I don't want to just, you know, bike here and watch a show. Every 30 seconds, I would like to hit a button. Um, and if that's the level of interaction you're going for, have I got the game for you? Uh, and I, yeah, I, I, you know, enjoyed this, uh, playing through it the second time, knowing more about the, you know, the world of Borderlands, I don't think affected me as much as I thought. Uh, I think I enjoyed it. 
about the same amount, maybe a little more in the sense of knowing about the world, maybe a little less in that because I knew where the plot was essentially going. As I said, sort of episode three and parts of four being much more about can we accomplish goal X uh, than character development um, was something of a lull for me. Um, but um, yeah, I think I think that overall, while there's some generic moments, it's never bad. There's a lot of really good stuff. And the points that uh, both of you have made about sort of direction and pacing, music choice, uh, the, uh, you know, the visual style, um, just everything is very uh, coherent. And again, all those little micro decisions that get made uh, when there are people who are working on a thing intensely and care very deeply about it. Um, they do all seep through. All of those little things uh, are, as that quote from Duncan Fife at the beginning said, maybe, you know, better than they ought to be. And yeah, I think, you know, if, again, right, if you're able to play it, of I have not gone back and played The Wolf Among Us, which I also remember enjoying a lot. I didn't make it through any other Telltale games I've played. So uh, I guess this would get my provisional uh, highest uh, Telltale recommendation, RIP Telltale. For me, I, I mean, I'll, I'll just say I, I, I really love this game. I think it is not without flaws. A lot of those flaws are kind of inherent in the studio that made this and the time at which this studio was operating. Uh, but judged on that criteria, I think it's probably my favorite thing that they've they've created. Walking Dead would probably be a close second. But it's a whole different beast, and I think there are games that have attempted a similar kind of drama and pathos that The Walking Dead is going for, and and executed it in my you know in my view to to a slightly higher standard. Um, I, I'm thinking like this is the most recent example, but I just immediately think of Disco Elysium and the way that it handles this kind of character driven drama whereas this game like i can't really think of an example of another game that pulls off this feeling of an american sitcom quite as well for me um there are certainly games that i would put in the same class in terms of how funny they are i immediately think of both portal games portal one and two um but in terms of just capturing what I love about TV shows like The Good Place or Community or Brooklyn Nine-Nine or Parks and Rec, um, nothing nothing else comes close for me. Um, I highly recommend it. And I know playing it now is, is a struggle. Uh, I know it's not live everywhere. But, um, yeah, if you can get your hands on this, um, I... Yeah, I think it's incredibly worthwhile and one of the better written comedies that I've played in in this medium. Excellent. Thanks for that. Uh, it remains for me, Jesse, to thank Tom and Josh, as well as our correspondents, plus, of course, you for listening. And to point out that Handsome Jack is definitely the same character as in the 1971 Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show song, Marie Laveau. Next time... In issue 409, we head back to Earth and the swingin' 80s, but also stay put in 2015 with the well-received prequel, Yakuza Zero. (laughs) 